Now I have some more company in studio. It's the author and historian, Colm Liddy. Good morning to you, sir. Morning. How are you? Very well. Thanks very much for coming in. Uh, you were you had a busy weekend. Uh, we were chatting with uh, the County Arts Officer, Siobhan Mulcahy, on yesterday's show. Uh, she was working at the Ennis Book Club Festival, which we uh, uh, spoke a lot about in the run-up to it. And from what I have seen and heard, it was uh, an absolutely fantastic weekend. And you had a, a, sim- a similarly great experience. I did, really. Yeah, I mean, all credit to the organisers. It's an amazing event, I think, for the town of Ennis and the county. And for me personally, it was a great opportunity. I, I gave a slideshow in the Templegate on the Saturday um, on the life of Nan Hogan, Cumann Amman, Kilmainham Jail, all that. But um, fantastic audience, a huge audience indeed, um, much more than I'm used to. <laughs> uh, but I just about coped. Uh, look, you have a big audience at the moment, Colm, you just can't see them. <laughs> we can assure you of that. Okay, you're here for the latest instalment of Townlands in Focus, which has really, I have to say, proven to be very fascinating. We're finding out so much about these townlands that perhaps so, many of us had only heard the name of before. So, uh, which townland are you focusing on this week? We're going now to Muhana, which is, it's um, located, it's quite an obscure one. It's in a, a triangle in between Aina, Ennestymon and Milton Malbe. It's not a kind of place, you wouldn't go there unless you meant to, you know, it's, it's not on the road anywhere. Um, it's a kind of about 700 acres in size. It's quite mountainy. There's a ridge running down the centre of it. And then the lowlands are extremely boggy. Um, but that said, now there's been a lot of reclamation and there's dairy farms here and there throughout it now. Mm. Uh, so uh, it sounds, like, as you say, it's kind of uh, betwixt and between other more famous locales. Yes. Um, so why have you decided to focus on Muhana? And, well, and that the pronunciation is important again. <laughs> it may not look like that, but M-O-U-G-H-N-A, but that's how the locals pronounce it. That's indeed, yeah. Well, look, I mean, it just shows that in a place that has been forgotten, so much happened. Um, the first thing, I suppose, is there's a famous kind of tragic love story attached to it. Uh, this is real Romeo and Juliet and just like in in that um, script you've got it ends in death and tragedy um, it's about 100 years ago War of Independence and that whole area was very much a hotbed of activity throughout the, the period um, you had so many ambushes up the, around there the Renine the Monreal ambush yeah. and then by the same token the Black and Tans reprisals where they burnt Ennestime and, and there was a lot of their murders and burnings took place in that vicinity well about one month before the War of Independence came to an end um, there was a local man in Mona who was due to be served a summons by the police. He let the IRA know and they set up an ambush. But as it was, it was all in vain. They never showed. And so the men lay and wait all day for nothing. Instead, one week later, four truckloads of black and tans arrived to serve the summons. They did without incident and drove away. But that's when one of them, one of the soldiers, jumped out of the back of the truck and began to walk across the fields. Now, it turned out... His reasoning was, his name was George Chalmers, mm-hmm. and he was 18 years of age. He had been born in Edinburgh in very um, very poor circumstances, in a tenement. His father was a blacksmith, and when he was aged just seven, this lad, um, his mother died of TB. Then the father died a few months later. So all of the children in the family had to be just farmed out relatives. Ten years later, George Chalmers is now a soldier in the British Army, and he's stationed in Clare, mostly in Ennis Diamond. And bizarrely, he actually had established a relationship with a local girl. And more so, she was actually from a very Republican family. Oh. In this family, I mean, you can see now in the lists that one of them was in Cumann Amman, fairly high up, and another of them used to actually organise little dances in the house 
they'd, they'd charge into the house dance and the money all went to the IRA. So, but nonetheless, that was the way and he had established that he was going to go and visit this girl. But it was a bad idea in that particular neck of the woods. Instead, he was um, spied by two IRA men crossing the fields and they captured him and they brought him in for questioning. They marched him across country to an outhouse and then he wouldn't tell them anything about what he was up to, possibly to protect the local girl. Um, And because he would not answer the questions, they decided that he was a spy sent out to gather intelligence. And so there and then they executed him and um, buried him in a bog just a short distance away. And um, then the, the British didn't even come looking for him. They assumed that he had deserted from the army. And then only a month later, the War of Independence ended. The Civil War began and all of that area was anti-treaty, so they would not cooperate with any attempt to, um, to find the body. And so there he lay. And eventually it went from being a fact into nearly a myth. And it was like 35 years later, it, it was known that there was a corner of the bog that you should not actually touch because there was a body buried there. So everyone understood this, but everyone nobody understood. would go near it. Yes, <laughs> but then eventually time passed and a bunch of young men went there and they thought, that's only an old wives' tale. Uh-oh. And they began digging. And then they found a bit of a uniform and, and more. And so they just stopped, obviously. And then it was truly known, yeah, that is the spot. Mm. And in fairness to the locals, they put up a little cross and then they put up a little plaque with his name. But he was left there until it was actually only just a few years ago that the British authorities kind of asked for um, a more convenient resting place. And so he was um, he was reinterred up in a military um, cemetery in Dublin. It's it, it very sad, isn't it? Because, I mean, look, you know, I don't it, as, as we found out uh, a couple of years ago from the failed commemoration that had to take place in London. There's no love for the, the black and tans in this no. country. But a young man who's only 17, 18 sounds like the family background is fairly tragic at that age. He's probably just looking for a good wage. Um, in the black and tans and you know I'd obviously found a relationship there it just seems ter- terrible yeah. terribly sad you know no matter what you're, where your sympathies Look, the, lay. W- the black and tans there's 8,000 of them and obviously they did terrible things but it's probably not realistic to think they were all monsters hmm. you know some of them were and plainly did yeah. appalling things but some of them were like you say were just along for the ride yeah. Okay, well that's a, a very sad story particularly as you say coming so soon before the, the end of the War of Independence We move from a tragic love story column to a holy well Yes, there's almost there's just one landmark really in the townland at this stage which is there's a graveyard I visited there the other day it's a lovely situation it's just Mount Callan is overlooking it and um, I noticed everybody in the graveyard there's essentially two surnames that predominate and they are Devitt and Garrahy that seems to be... The are they, are they the only families in Luhana? Well, they, they, they took up 50% of the graveyard. Okay. But down at the back of it, there's these little steps into the wall and you go down and through a field and lo and behold, there's a very unusual holy well. And it just reminds you, I, I've put up pictures online of it, it reminds you that this is the religion before the religion of going to Mass. Mm. Like during the 1700s, as we know, penal times, there is no churches for the Catholics and there's no priests. So that was when the Holy Wells were, you know, the religion in Ireland. People would go there, take the waters and typically just do circuits, saying prayers. It's that old reform of religion, which still is, there's about 250 of them in the county. Okay. Um, We move then from a Holy Well to 
uh, someone who who might not frequent holy wells, you would imagine, <laughs> a notorious con man from Uhuda. Who's yes. that? Well, I mean, this story is kind of unusual because it's so old. It's from 1699. Normally, we know very little about that era, but this one actually generated a huge amount of controversy. So there's a, a wealthy, sort of fairly wealthy man called Patrick Hurley, and he lives in this Muhana, and he's in a nice house with servants and all of that. And on this given night, March the 3rd, 1699, he actually owes a guy £1,000 and he's going to pay him. And to that end, there's two solicitors who are over to oversee the transaction. They're staying overnight in the house. But instead, a bunch of robbers arrive. And now this is the era when the robbers have swords and some pistols. Mm. And they arrive and the the main guy, is they're all masked. He has a red coat on and he comes in screaming blue murder. They're... They, all the servants are taken, beaten up and tied up in one room. And the main men in the house, they're also beaten and the pistol shots are going off in all directions. Thankfully, no one's killed. But um, he take, they take all the money, of course, all the jewellery and even all the nice linen that's in the house. Well, they're very thorough, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> now, what, what happens next is that at this time, it's just now a few years after the Battle of the Boyne and Cromwell was only recently as well. There's a rule that if there's any robberies, it's the Catholics of the area who have to make good. There's a tax put on them. This <laughs> seems very off. fair, isn't it? So it's essentially an insurance scheme, mm. you know. And so he's going to get his money back. But as the authorities investigate, they begin to think this maybe was a hoax robbery, that maybe he never had the money whatsoever. And they believe it's a hoax. Instead, they put him in jail for fraud. And um, the, the penalty will be he'll have to be hanged. But our Patrick Hurley is a resourceful guy. And while he's there, he says, guess what? I actually have an accusation about something much bigger, treason. And he accuses Donna O'Brien. Now, this is the guy who owns Dromoland. He's the first of all of the yeah. Dromoland. You would have spoken with him, uh, uh, with us about him uh, on yeah. your book about Dromoland. Yeah. He's the founder of the whole Dromoland dynasty. Mm. And he's, a, he's the wealthiest man in the county. And now Patrick Hurley accuses him of conspiring against this is King William is now on the throne of conspiring with foreign powers. And and you know what? The funny thing is, it's actually quite plausible, this accusation, but it's dynamite. If it's found true, then all of Dromoland will be taken away from your man. Obviously, he'll be killed and possibly Patrick Hurley will get a cut of Dromoland. So both men wind up being arrested. Both men are in jail and there's this massive correspondence as they try to threaten and bribe people as to who was wrong and who was right. In the end of the day, Patrick Hurley is released, but he has to leave Ireland. Um, and then he becomes a notorious con man. In London, he becomes brilliant at all card games, cheating at them, obviously, cheating in ways in which he cuts cards and deals them and whatnot. Mm. He amasses a sum of money in London and moves to France, where he presents himself as a lord. And I mean, he presents, he has the carriage, he has the coachman, the footman, all dicky do and dressed up. Mm. And he's accepted by French society as Lord Mount Callan, so much so that he's introduced to the King of France. This is the Sun King, the absolute most famous of all the French kings. And they play cards one night and he wins 14,000 gold coins off of the French king. Which back then, in the, you know, the turn of the 17th into the 18th century would be an absolute fortune. Absolute fortune. But now he feels it's way be wise to leave France. <laughs> <laughs> good, good thinking, Patrick. So he goes to, of all places, goes to Italy. And now it's billiards he plays. 
and he again wins a packet of all of these rich toffs playing billiards and after that it's like there's Naples there's Venice there's in Amsterdam where they have the finest banks he manages to convince them to loan him like 20,000 gold coins and then absconds but his final big sting is is my favourite he's back in London after all of that and he meets a wealthy fool who is wealthy but needs the kind of pedigree and the paperwork to to really get a top job in government. And our man says, oh, I'll sort that out for you. I know, I have connections, I have connections and I'll sort it. So your man is arranged that he, of course, has to pay a massive bribe to get the paperwork he needs. So he has to go into St. James's Park on a certain morning and go to a certain bench and sit there and hand the packet to a lady and she will hand back another packet to him which will be signed and sealed with all the paperwork he needs. And they meet at a coffee shop and off he goes. Patrick Hurley says, go on now, go do that. He does it and he comes back to the coffee shop. But Patrick Hurley is gone. And um, of course he's paid off his money. And he opens the little package and inside is just one sheet of paper and all that's written on it is the lyrics of a song. (laughs) (laughs) So that's our Patrick Hurley from Muhana and just say, who just blazed a trail all across Europe um, conning people out of money. To be honest, the way that story was going, Colm, I was waiting for, you know, Patrick Hurley got his comeuppance, but it sounds like he didn't. (laughs) Well, the thing about him is he was a master of disguise. He changed his name so many times that after that, the trail runs cold. Possibly somebody found out what he was doing and stabbed him. But more than likely, he retired into... um, extremely, you know, a rich lifestyle at the end, but with an, under a new name that we can't quite find him, you know. Yeah, always looking over his shoulder <laughs> and pretending that he wasn't so good at cards or billiards just to really throw people off the scent. <laughs> well, impressive stuff. Um, you mentioned pictures earlier on. Uh, you're going to have pictures of Muhana up on social media. That's right, yeah. I've just kind of set up a new tag on um, Twitter and Facebook. It's called Long Ago in County Clare. So just, I mean, these are the stories, of course, and words, but to the extent that you'd like to see some of the associated pictures, like of the Holy Well and um, of the, the Sun King of France and whatnot, um, follow me on, on those and you'll see those pictures. Brilliant stuff. Um, really, really enjoyed that. It was fascinating. It really ticked a lot of boxes there. A Holy Well, a tragic love story and a notorious con man who it sounds like got away with it and sat on a big fat fortune. <laughs> Crime does pay, folks, no matter what they tell you. I call him Lady the author and historian. Thank you as ever. And